Have you ever realized that all youth sports seasons end at a pizza parlor? Maybe you know this from firsthand experience. You played in a youth soccer league or maybe a softball team. And at the end of your season, your coach would take you out to celebrate at a pizza parlor. This happened for me. I used to play soccer back in the day. It was the first sport I ever played. And at the end of all of our seasons, we would go to the Pizza Hut on Northwestern Highway, I think that's where it used to exist, and we'd go to the Pizza Hut and we would always celebrate with pizza. There'd be trophies, but it was always pizza. You never found yourself at a Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, maybe Red Robin, but it was always a pizza spot. And I've never understood that because why do we just affiliate the end of our seasons with pizza? Welcome to Motor City Hardball, presented by Blue Wire Hustle. Today's guest is Dylan Forsyth, a former college pitcher, as well as an intern within the Oakland Athletics video department. So Dylan, I don't know about you, but I get it, you're from New Jersey, the New York area, there's plenty of pizza spots to go around. Uh, I'm sure there's a million within just a block of you, but I don't understand how we always found ourselves at the end of a season, you're back when you used to play, you know, in any sort of youth league, that you ended up at a pizza spot. So do you agree with that? And for you, what was that like uh, as a kid if you yourself found yourself at pizza spots to celebrate the end of your season? Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. I feel like every little league team at the end of the year will go to a pizza place and just get a bunch of pizzas and hand out your little participation trophies. Exactly. Um, like a paper plate award here or there. Yeah. <laughs> but in my town, like you said, there are probably six pizza places within 10 minutes of each other. Um, and the funny thing is being in this area, all the pizza is supposed to be good. And I can't say that there are any good pizza places in this town. <laughs> do you, do you have a favorite though? Like did, was there a the spot that you specifically went to? when you were playing or was it always just random? We do have a favorite, um, but the pizza places would be random depending on where other kids lived and what was the closest to meet up. Um, but yeah, it, was, it always ended up <laughs> at a pizza place. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know why that was the case, but for some reason, it's always a pizza place. I probably think it's going to stay that way for some time. And there was the rare occasion that you found yourself at a Red Robin. It was realistically like Pizza Spot or Red Robin, and that was it. And for me, the Red Robin only happened once. But we are here today talking with Dylan Forsyth. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his baseball career as a pitcher, uh, what he does with the Oakland Athletics, and then we're going to talk a little bit of baseball. So Dylan and I met, actually. Uh, I've only known him for <laughs> two months. Uh, we worked together at the Golf Channel, we were both interns there, summer of 2019. He ended up uh, sh sharing a cubicle with me the last couple of weeks of our internship, so that was fun. Uh, granted, we do completely different things. Uh, but Dylan, how are you doing, and uh, what have you been up to as of late? I'm good. Um, everything's good. Um, honestly, just uh, in the middle of a waiting game, waiting to hear back from the A's on when it's time to report back to spring training. Um, and I'm just excited to get back out there and get going. 
since the first go around got cut short to the pandemic. So I, I'd like to start with that, actually. Uh, you, so I, I want you to tell me when, when did you get this job and what does that process look like? Because for anybody who wants to go into sports, first off, it's incredibly difficult for so many reasons. It's so competitive. But to land a job in a, a, a major league system, if you will, like right out of college, is not so easy. So w- what did that process look like for you? And tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so you're right. It is very difficult and very competitive. Um, and I, I, to be honest, I kind of got a little lucky because while I was at uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, um, my strength and conditioning coach was helping me out as much as he could just to try and get any leads or just network a little bit. And one of his friends actually works with the Phillies. Um, So he set me up with him and I was able to network and pick his brain um, about how I could get started in the baseball industry. Um, And it was interesting because I honestly thought it could be like any other job. You go online, you apply, um, and then you wait to hear back. Um, But there's way more to it than that because a lot of these organizations want to put a face to your name um, and they want to see you in person. They're not going to fly you out to say New York or Chicago or something or LA. Um, But every year baseball has the winter meetings. um, So they use that as like the perfect opportunity to do their interviews, get to meet people face to face. Um, And so once, once I figured that out, um, he was my, the guy was like, yeah, you should really go to the winter meetings, um, and start to put your face to your name so you could start to meet a bunch of different organizations. So bef- before you go into the winter meetings, cause there's, I'm sure most people that are listening don't necessarily know what the winter meetings are, but what I wanted to say was I had a, uh, a, an internship, a broadcasting internship with a, uh, mini professional baseball team league around here, if you will. And the kid who I did play by play with, he went to the winter meetings. I don't remember where or when it was. It might've been 2018. And he went to the winter meetings to try and land a job doing play by play. And I thought, well, at least the winter meetings, when I think of it is I didn't know anyone could just go there because it's for all the GMs and the the coaches and the managers. Like, I, I don't see why anyone could just get up and go there, let alone try to find a job. So explain what is, what are the winter meetings look like for someone like you who's there looking for a job and not to make a decision on uh, who to sign in free agency. It's unbelievable. And for somebody that's actually going to look for a job, it can be incredibly intimidating. Um, I, when I went, it was uh, 2019 in San Diego. So it was nice to get out of the New Jersey winter and go to a nice uh, warm place. Yes. But, <laughs> but getting there, um, you walk into this hotel and just thousands of people, like, like you said, GMs, coaches, managers, players, even agents, and then fans. Anybody can walk into this hotel. Um, like I, I just don't, I don't get how that works. I'm literally trying to picture it. 
Yeah, it's, you just walk into the hotel lobby and it's just mobbed with so many people. Like there's times when you're walking by and like Ken Rosenthal's walking by because and he's head down on his phone because he's got some breaking news that he's yes. trying to get off. And like there's just people constantly running around. You go up into people's suites and there's meetings and stuff. You go up the escalator um, and all the different TV networks are set up to have their guests on. Um, it honestly, there was nothing. I've never seen anything like that before. Now, in terms of actually getting in, did you have to be like recommended by someone to get a pass? Like, do you have to, could anyone just pay to get in? I mean, how, how does that, how does that work? You don't even have to pay if you you can just as a baseball fan. Yeah. As a baseball fan, if you just wanted to go to the winter meetings, you can just show up and go to the hotel. Um, but like if you're going for a job, they do have, um, I believe it's called the PBEO job fair. Um, and it's, you, you pay a couple hundred bucks and there's a bunch of seminars and meetings and you just get to hear like guest speakers and stuff. Um, but what, from what I've heard that more, like there's job openings and stuff too. Um, but that's more towards like, um, like stadium operations, ticket sales and jobs like that. Whereas baseball operations jobs, you kind of have to, in a way, set it up on your own because not all of them are directly posted online. Um, so basically before I went out there, I had to, like the guy told me, he was like, you need to try and contact as many people as you can to set up and like network, create some conversation between, between, um, different organizations. Um, so that's what I did. I emailed, I don't even probably 90 to hundred people. Mm. Um, and obviously you're not going to hear back from every single person. Um, but even if I, I, that year I probably heard back from, I would say between 15 and 20. But that 15 and 20, 15 to 20 gave me a good lead into going to the winter meetings because then that just set up some job openings that they had and it gave me the opportunity to speak to them. And then I was a candidate. Um, and then it also just opens up the networking uh, connection. So narrow it down for me a little bit in terms of what you specifically want to do, because when we were at golf channel, like I was working editorial based uh, and you were more so like sales. So have you always had a, like a, a side passion for broadcast, if you will, because what you ended up doing for the A's is video is, is broadcast. So when, when you were talking to these teams and looking for positions and whatnot was how much of a variety was there in terms of, what they had available and what you specifically wanted to do. So, I mean, my end goal dream would be to eventually become like a general manager where you're the guy in charge, you're making the decisions. Um, But the next step that I want to take from where I am right now would be to go into more of a like baseball operations role or uh, like advanced scouting. but a lot of people that I've spoken to a lot, like you start in minor league video. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. 
And the video side of it is interesting because basically I show up to spring training and I didn't really have that much of a video background. So I didn't really know what I was going to be doing. I know it in a sense it's player development because you're setting up cameras, you're filming side sessions for people, you're filming bullpens, um, you're filming sim games. Um, and then once that's done, you bring that stuff inside and you cut it all up for them. And then the players and coaches can sit there and watch and work on mechanics and see what, what, what went right, what went wrong. Um, and then obviously you're getting video for every single guy constantly. Um, so it's just always, they're, they're always working, um, to improve. Um, so yeah. And even from that, I was helping them with, um, international scouting too. Um, but this is a good start for me to learn from the ground up. Um, and I like also, I know when I'm going to get to my location that I'm going to be charting and like charting every single game, every pitch, every, every, the whole game. Um, and it's using uh, trackman and bats. They're just softwares that pick up um, a lot of the analytical side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all about the numbers for like trackman and stuff. And then bats is, Almost in a sense, it's like keeping a book during a game, but it's on the computer and it's much easier to obviously use that than to report after putting in everything from the book. So I have, I have a, one of my good friends was drafted by the Cardinals back in 2019 and he went to Florida for spring training. This was a year ago, so last February. And obviously COVID hits and everything, you know, it hits the fan and every sport was canceled and they ended up canceling the minor league system or the minor league season. So he was essentially out of a job, came home and had to grind all summer for you. What, what did your job look? What did your role look like before COVID happened? Then COVID hits and then post that whole craziness come March, April, what did that timeline for you look like? Yeah, so it was crazy. Obviously, being from Jersey, um, going to Arizona, like they were like, "Yeah, you should like you should bring your car." Um, so me and my dad got in the car, drove cross country, Arizona. Um, got out there like mid February, um, and then just went to work. Like I touched on a little while ago, it was recording side sessions, bullpen, sim games working on trackman, working on bats, um, and doing things like that every single day. Um, and obviously it's a lot of like working out and stuff like that. So there's no, there wasn't much game action for the right. minor leaguers. I, I was, I was going to say, because spring training is, is kind of weird, especially the first few weeks of the season, because you'll have your everyday guys will maybe get one at bat, two at bats max your everyday pitchers throwing maybe two or three innings. So in terms of like when you were actually there on the field, uh, you know, how, how much uh, exposure were you getting to like major league players versus those minor league guys in terms yeah, of what so you the, were doing? Yeah. So the way that the A's set it up is a lot of their workouts take place at 
the stadium, which was like a block down the street. Um, and that's obviously for, I guess, a little more fan interaction and stuff. Um, and the facilities over there are a little, I guess, better for better accommodations for them. Um, so the major leaguers would be there. Um, and then a lot of the minor leaguers would be at the like complex and there's six fields, I believe, four fields. I, I forget. Um, but yeah, they're all working out there, but then occasionally the major leaguers would take the vans over to the complex and then they're going through their BP rounds. They're going through some live sessions. Um, but yeah, you got to see them a, a decent amount. But then, like uh, like I was saying, the the minor league spring training games don't start for a bit. Um, so the major leaguers, once games started, you didn't see them. They're always at the, at the stadium down the street and then getting ready for games. And then occasionally, if you had a guy like rehabbing, then he would come by the complex and you'd see him taking like live abs and stuff like that to get ramped up to be able to go play in some spring training games. Probably like the second week in March. Cause I was coincidentally, I was in Arizona. I was with Brandon. Yeah, and I do we, remember that. <laughs> we, we went and saw um, a couple Cubs games in Mesa. And I remember I went to like one game. We went to that one game and I came home a couple days later. And then like, that was it. And still to this day, I think, wow, I was one of the last people to go to a baseball game before, you know, everything happened, even though they had fans of the World Series and stuff. But still, uh, so for you, how how much of a, a shift did that have uh, on your role? Because the minor league se- season was canceled, but they there was still like that player development mini uh, I can't think of what the, the phrase, what they it call it. Like it was like a mini camp. Like yeah. a mini camp. Yeah. Like yeah. spring training 2.0, they call yeah. it. So wh- wh- what did that look like when the, the big change happened? Cause COVID. Yeah. It was really weird. Like, I, I don't even know how else to explain it. It was just, we were sitting in our office and we kept seeing, like we had on like ESPN on the TV and you kept seeing like, Oh, the thunder game canceled. Um, Thunder Jazz when Rudy Gobert tested positive. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's canceled. And then they're like, okay, the NBA is going to go on pause. And then you see, like, the Big East tournament, everything else was almost shut down by then, and they're still playing. And then at halftime of that game, they can that, and they shut that down. So we're sitting there, like, watching TVs, getting all these updates, and we're just thinking, like, oh, I don't think anything's going to happen to us. And then next thing we knew, it was one morning – and like I said, we're sitting in the office and we just get somebody comes in and they're like, yeah, uh, just let you know, like, go to your locker, clean everything out and get out because we're shutting everything down. Um, wow. And from that point on, like, it was crazy. Like, obviously, I'm not from Arizona. I'm from New Jersey. I don't know what's going to happen with, uh, like, flights or – and, like, my parents didn't want me driving two days by myself back home. Um so I went, I packed my stuff up, I left, and my boss was just like, oh, we'll be in touch. So, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen with flights or anything. I didn't want to be stuck in Arizona. Um, so I packed all my stuff up, and the A's got me a flight, and I was out of there that night, and it ended up getting delayed. I didn't leave until, like, 4 in the morning. Um, but I came back to Jersey and then 
got my, I ended up getting my car shipped back to Jersey. Um, and from there it was just like a waiting game. And then we're just waiting, waiting, waiting. And once we kind of saw that the major league season, that it was like dragging out cause they couldn't make a decision and nobody like COVID was still bad and the numbers were kept going up in areas. And then it became, there's going to be no fans. And we kind of started to get the hint that the minor league season was just going to get canned. And then eventually we get the word, okay, the minor league season's canned. We're only taking certain guys to the spring training 2.0. They were going to have taxi squads and whatever. But, yeah, once we got that news, it was kind of like, all right, your job is done. And, like, I got on a a conference call with the GM, and he kind of – it was just, like, all part-time because technically I'm considered part-time. Um, but yeah, we got on a huge conference call for all part-time employees and he was just like, yeah, like, obviously this isn't what we wanted to have happen, but this is what's got to happen. Um, and everybody was basically furloughed and then that was that minor league season was canned. And as we saw the major league season ended up picking up with 60 games, but yeah, it was just, it was just surreal. Like seeing everything else get shut down, never in a million years, I would have thought like, okay, you just started this great new opportunity and now you can kind of throw it out the window for this year. Yeah. Holy crap. That's, I don't, I don't even, I can't even imagine because I was, <laughs> I was home. I mean, I was at school. I, I wasn't doing, I didn't have a job. Like, especially for someone like you and I, we love baseball so much. Our dream job for you to get that and to have to just turn around and, and literally be told, that's it like go home i can't even imagine that like that is horrifying and i'm sure you just like i don't know that's it was it was tough it was tough but obviously i'm gonna be back with the a's now so i'm grateful and thankful that i had the opportunity in the first place and then it's even more amazing that they wanted me to come back after only being with them for a short month because again as you know they cut some of the minor league teams so now every organization only has four it's a ball double a triple a the bigs so i was grateful enough to even be asked to come back to be with one of those affiliates so so that was so they didn't even have you come back after things like come june july-ish right before the season started they didn't no no way. I was I guess I was sitting here waiting for you to say it, and then I went back. No, no. I, no didn't way. Go back. No. So oh, yeah, I mean, was wow. just waiting until basically like now. So when worried to go back. When were you told that you were coming back? That they said, Hey, like we want you to come back? So I was in talks with my boss. he's uh he's an amazing guy. Um pleasure working with him. Um, but I was in talks with him throughout kind of this whole thing. And he he was great. Always checking on me, seeing how I was doing, see how my family was doing with the pandemic and how we were holding up. Um, so we were in constant communication. Um, but it wasn't until I would say beginning of December that I, he, like we, we came to an agreement. And then I just signed my papers the other day. 
Oh, wow. So you will officially be returning once everything is, is set in stone. Yeah, and I got my location for where I will be placed uh, during the season. Oh, where are you going to be? Um, so this year I will be going to Arizona for around two to three weeks for spring training. Okay. And again, we don't know if it's going to be split major league, triple a, and then double a single a, or if it's going to be everybody combined. So we're still waiting to hear with that. You're saying, you're saying if spring training essentially would be like spring training, a, a game that you will watch on TV will only be major league players. Well, so not, it would no, be, not how it's typically played. Yeah, not how it's typically played, but they could like there will be AAA guys in their camp. So if 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 uh, they they came out with a report the other day that they wanted all major leaguers and all AAA at the same time, and then all AA and all A ball at the same time, because they don't want that many people at the facilities at the same time okay i i follow i follow yeah yeah. so i mean depending on who they want to see in spring training they could put whoever on a roster i would assume and then they'll be able to play in some major league spring training games um but still waiting to hear on that but after spring training i'm going to be up in uh, stockton california for the full season essentially that's everything that you missed because you had that opportunity to go to spring training, see how that played out, obviously in a time before COVID. Uh, but now, you know, you get to go back to spring training, which is super exciting. And once that is done and that wraps up, then it's like the job takes a completely different step in a, in a whole different direction. Yeah. And in a sense, it's almost like an increased role. Because last year I was supposed to go from uh, Arizona for – I was supposed to be in Arizona longer. So I was going to be out there from like February until like June. And then once um, extended and um, – I can't think of – it's like extended spring training. And then there's like the, the AZL league that goes on for a bit out there. Um, and then once the draft ends, you would have the short season A season. And that would have been – I would have been going from Arizona back east um, to go to Vermont, and I would have been working in Vermont for – and that, that season is much shorter. Um, I think it's only like 80 games or something like that. But now, now uh, going full-time with uh, the A-ball affiliate in Stockton, it's – it's supposed to be 140 games, but again, we'll see what happens. I don't, I don't know what what decisions have been made up to this point, or what decisions are going to be made in terms of spring training, and if there's any delays or, or whatnot. So, and I'm not exactly sure if you can answer this yet, at least, but I I feel as if this this role and and working in baseball, let alone sports oftentimes it's working your way up and it's finding your foot in the door somewhere and, and somehow getting that start and to work in someone like me where it's editorial base. Like my dream job is like, I want to be Ken Rosenthal. That, that job to me, his job is it's ideal. It's a little bit of TV time. You're writing, you're covering all the teams, you're traveling, you know, it's, it's great. What I want to know from you is with where you stand right now, 
with your position with the A's. Where, like, where do you see yourself within the next two years, three years? Uh, do you do you think that it's likely that you can work your way up into? I mean, I know you like this isn't necessarily something that you want to stick with. Like you said, you're looking to be more so uh, in a like a front office role, if you will. But how do you view your progression over the years with your career as it stands now? I think it can definitely happen. Um, and like I said before, I want to be more like baseball ops, advanced scouting. Um, but this being as weird of a year as it was, um, there were so many questions that people didn't have answers to. So it was like, like I, I was talking to other teams cause I didn't even know if my position was still going to be available with the A's. Um, so I'm talking to other people trying to see like, Hey, do you guys have any openings? Do you guys have any openings? Do you know when things are like, do you have any inklings of when things are going to get started again, whatnot? Um, and it was basically like, nobody really had any answers. There was more, there was more teams this year laying people off, um, and cutting positions than there were teams like having additions. Um, so it was, it's a, it was a tough year. I mean, and then listening to all the revenue losses that teams had in the league and like, it was, it was just a tough year. So I'm just lucky to even got, have this position. Um, but in, in the coming year or so, um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it'll kind of be like the same thing. It's again, building up your networking, um, reaching out to people from other organizations that you know um maybe if you're lucky enough something within the organization that you're already working for something can open up there and you can get referred to move up that way um but yeah it's just such a especially right now like this is almost the worst time to like <laughs> be uh, be looking for like any sort of advancement or things like that because it, there's just so much unknown. So Dylan, your passion for baseball also stems from a little bit of playing in college, I'm sure. Uh, you played for Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, this is a, a school that I haven't necessarily heard of. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what happened between the end of high school to college because there was a gap there and you didn't play for Fairleigh Dickinson until your junior year uh, as a walk-on. So w tell me a little bit about what your college career looked like and how you got there. Yeah, so after high school, um, it was kind of, I don't know, I I had the like dream of continuing playing. Um, but in the back of my head, I kind of let myself get a little negative in the sense of like, I didn't think I was good enough. Um, so that was, that was one thing, but then I get to college and they have a pretty good sports administration program. Um, and that's basically what I wanted to do get into sports um, after high school. So I get there and I had, I tell you, I had the plan. I was trying out my freshman year. That's the one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to keep playing baseball, but 
then, I mean, I got there and I kind of just got lazy. Just being honest, I got lazy. I got complacent. Um, it might've taken me a little longer to adjust to college, um, than others. Um, and I didn't realize honestly how quick fall ball starts up for a division one team. So I thought it's something that I could have like dragged along and like, Oh, okay. Like come like November, like, okay. Yeah. Like, can I try out? But that was a learning lesson for me. (laughs) Um, so going back to then, I didn't even try out my freshman year. Um, and during that year, I just realized how much I missed the game. Um, I played all four years in high school. I played uh, baseball and basketball, and I was always in that team setting. Um, and you're always around the guys. And uh, still to this day, like, those are my closest friends. Found the yourself at the pizza parlor at the end of the yeah. season. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, those are the guys that like you're the closest with. You have a ton of a ton of things in common with, um, and I missed that for that year. Um, so, turn around to my sophomore year, and I was like, "All right, this is the year I'm going to try out." And honestly, it was another thing that tested me because I tried out and I got cut. So that to me, I was like, and honestly, like looking at some of the other uh, people that tried out and um, like the team in general, I was like, I questioned it a little bit and I was like, Oh, like, damn, maybe I'm not good enough. (laughs) Um, But honestly, that just added fuel to the fire. Um, And it was funny because going into my junior year now, um, I still had that itch to play. Um, I still just missed being around the guys again. I missed playing. Um, and it ended up working out perfectly because right before school started and I got back on campus, the coach actually reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you still have any interest of playing? And I was like, uh, yeah, like, let's go. <laughs> so it, and so it came, it ended up coming full circle. Um, and my junior year, I was a walk on and that began my college career. And from then on, I, it only took one weekend, the second weekend of the year to get my opportunity to get into a game. And that first year I ended up leading the team in appearances out of the bullpen, um, which was honestly crazy. And my arm was not ready for that at all. Um, (laughs) My arm was hanging after like the, the first half of the season, but I was never going to turn down a chance or anything because I was just so grateful to be back out there playing and competing and doing what I love to do. So you in back in high school, you didn't have any intention of playing college ball, correct? I did, but I didn't really do much about it to try and you just had a you had your dream of oh you wanted to do it, but maybe you just felt like, eh, it's just so, it's hard. It's like right there, but it's not. And you had to put in so much work. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Cause I look, I, I hear you. I, I played all four years in high school and I was a pitcher myself and I was a lefty and coaches love lefties. And I never, I didn't see myself playing college baseball 
realistically, I didn't think I was good enough. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even touch 80 miles an hour, really. Maybe I got close, but I just, I, I don't know. I wanted to do it, and I knew that it would have been such a workload. I, I had buddies of mine that were so good and were being looked at by all these teams and colleges, and I was like, wow, I'm so far behind on that ride. Like, at this point, I mean, what's the point of really trying? So it, it was never a... I never really put in the work, I guess you could say. Um, my my senior year in high school ended up being my best season on the mound, but still, I wasn't I wasn't looked at, and uh, that was realistically when I knew. Well, if I don't have a career in baseball in terms of playing, how can I still somehow be a part? Uh, and that was when journalism and all these things sort of tied into it, and I realized then, okay, this is this is what I know I want to do. Um, so you though got put in this position where you you realize maybe you had an opportunity you still had some gas in the tank and it just so happened that your coach came to you junior year and was like all right you know let's ride (laughs) so how did how did you feel going into your first game like what were your thoughts because that's a big that's like what a three-year difference between playing in high school to college ball and three years without playing baseball how did you feel of like oh my gosh I'm playing college baseball, I'm on the mound right now. I think that's where my viewpoint on things changed compared to some of the kids that I played with during my time at school. Because, I mean, like I said, I'm a walk-on. I'm not getting any scholarship money. There's other kids there that are getting money. Um, And some of them just, like, it's – you see it in a lot of sports. If kids aren't getting their opportunity, they don't, they have a bad attitude and then it carries over and it trickles down and they want to leave. Um, So our school in general had a lot of that where kids would transfer a lot because either they didn't like the school or so be it. Um, But for me, like you said, going into our first game, I didn't really know what to expect in terms of me getting opportunity. I was just glad to be able to put on the uniform, practice, and be around the guys. Just be back um, in the Yeah, just, just being back around. Like, I would just soak up every single second, whether it was me shagging flies and BP before the game or me just putting on my cleats and hearing them dig into the dirt and <laughs> step into the grass. Like, to me, this was, like, the ultimate dream. Like, I'm living out a dream. Yeah. Um, and so just being able to play catch on a college field and all this stuff. So going into the first game, like, it was so cool. I was locked in just watching everything. And then I get told in the sixth inning, like, all right, go get hot. And honestly, I tell you, my heart never beated more in my life. It was like, <laughs> like, like, like I'm, <laughs> I, it was crazy. And so I ended up not getting in the first game and I ended up not even getting the pitch the first weekend. Um, And we went down to play uh, Savannah state in Georgia. And it was a like 17 and a half hour bus ride down from Jersey. And then a 17 and a half hour bus ride back. Um, But yeah, I didn't get in that weekend, but honestly, I still kept the same mentality. Like I'm just happy to be there. I'm getting to travel around to play baseball, watch baseball. Um, and it wasn't until the, the second weekend of the season where, um, we were playing Lehigh and we were, it was kind of a blowout. Um, but 
he puts me in the game and I had, uh, I think I threw two innings, didn't give up any hits. I had two strikeouts and one walk, I think. Um, and then that was on a Friday and then Saturday I didn't pitch. And then Sunday I pitched against Davidson who ended up going to the super regional that year. They beat, they knocked out North Carolina. Um, and they played Texas A&M at Texas A&M in the Super Regional to go to the College World Series. Um, and I threw, I want to say it was three innings. Might have been, been two and a third, two and two thirds, somewhere around there. I can't remember. But I held them to one hit. I had two or three strikeouts, and I didn't give up any runs. I came in in like a bases-loaded jam. Um, but that was one of my best performances. So after that weekend, I had like six and or five and two thirds innings pitched or something. I gave up one hit, no runs. And from that time on, my coach kind of ran with me in some pretty big situations for the rest of the year. Um, But it was a crazy (laughs) introduction to college baseball. And I'll tell you, my arm was not ready for it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure because it's, like in in high school, were you a starting pitcher or were you a bullpen guy? Yeah, I was a starter. You were a starter. I, from what I remember, I don't think I ever went more than maybe five innings, like maybe, uh, at most. But obviously, in in college ball, and not only are you playing more games, like you have more appearances. So that so that was your your junior year, but essentially your your freshman quote unquote season. Uh, you had 20 appearances, 25 innings pitched. You have 26 hits, uh, one home run, which is not bad. And uh, I think this appears to be what the opponent's batting average, 280, uh, 7.92 ERA. But I mean, I walked a lot of guys that year. Once the second half came around, still though, it's like you're for, like, it's just crazy to think that you you literally found yourself playing college baseball when you went so long without like for like numbers aside i mean you went all that time and then it just happened i'm i'm picturing that for myself like i can't imagine that happened to me like if i could go back in time like that's nuts yeah it was crazy too trying to like get in the reliever role because for me, like, I am the ultimate competitor, whether it's video games, whether it's actually competing, playing baseball or something like that, or even, like, flipping a coin, who's right? Like, I'm, <laughs> the, I'm the ultra competitor. Um, and so I always wanted to pitch. Whenever, whenever he needed somebody to pitch, like, I was ready to go. Um, so I think, in a way, I kind of hurt myself, too, because it was more of, like, I just always wanted to pitch. And I didn't. I didn't know the proper way of like like rest recovery, like stuff like that to get my arm ready to bounce back and keep going and keep going. So I ended up having arm issues from there basically until I was done playing. I just kept mm. having nerve issues in my elbow Damn. that would like literally go from my shoulder. It would like feel like a pinch in my elbow and then it would just, my fingers would just get all tingly and it was, <laughs> it takes me back. Oh, yeah, there's like nothing worse. I I mean, injuries are tough in all sports. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like when it comes to a, an injury to your pitching arm that happens from pitching, like nothing is broken, but like when it deals with like the nerves and tendons and all that, like there's literally nothing worse than that. Thankfully, I never had to deal with any sort of tough injuries. Like 
that serious, but yeah, that is it was it was a sign of like, well, you know, maybe maybe I should call it a, a quits and I'm looking forward to graduation. We gotta talk some baseball news. You being from New Jersey, the biggest talk of the whole offseason so far. Not only has it been Trevor Bauer and his weird antics of making YouTube videos of, hey, like, tell me where I should go sign. Like, what is that, first of all? Uh, but some big news happened for you across the way. Uh, the Mets got Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco, who, in my opinion, is, like, the most underrated success- successful pitcher in baseball. And now that Mets pitching staff is so dangerous. But you are not a Mets fan. You are a Yankees fan. So tell me, like, ex- explain to me, because I don't I don't know exactly where you're located in New Jersey, but what, like, how come you are a Yankees fan? And what is that rivalry, what does that look like now with Steve Cohen and all these, like, crazy things that are happening with the Mets? Yeah, so growing up, um, my dad was a diehard Yankee fan. Um, so, and they lived in Fort Lee, which is literally on the other side of the George Washington bridge on the Jersey side. Mm. So to get to Yankee stadium, you go over the bridge and you're basically in the Bronx. It's right there. So Yankee stadium was always close. And like I said, my dad was a diehard fan. Um, now obviously I'm working in baseball and I'm with other organizations. So my fandom has taken a, a little bit of a hit. But obviously, I'm still up to date on everything and just being on Twitter and seeing my friends because I have friends that are Yankees fans and Met fans. Um, And it's honestly so hilarious because the Mets, to me, like everybody says they're the Yankees' little brother because they're in the shadow because the Yankees always won. And But to me, like you play in two different leagues. In a way, yeah, it's a rivalry because you play in the same city. But like – you play each other six times a year. Like <laughs> to me, yeah. like the rivalry isn't like beat everybody else. Your rivalry, your rival should be Boston or Tampa or, and the Mets rival should be Philly, Atlanta. Like, um, like worry about beating them. Don't, well, don't worry about what each other are doing, but obviously it's the same city and, and it, it's kind of split. Um, but yeah, the talk and the banter has just been going back and forth. Um, and it's funny to see, but, with Steve Cohen and what he's doing, the Mets obviously wanted to come into this season and make a big bang in free agency and the trade market. And honestly, there's no better way to do it than get Lindor, who in my opinion is the best shortstop in baseball. Yeah. Like second to Mike Trout, I think he is the face of major league baseball. And if there was any team, obviously Lindor is going to be a free agent uh, after the 2021 season. So if there's any team that's going to lock him up, full time for who knows 10 plus years and 300 plus million dollars is going to be the Mets. I I wouldn't be surprised with the way that uh, Cohen is going about his business over there. It's crazy. Now what I found interesting is the Yankees have always been a team that like money just doesn't really mean anything to them. You know, they'll go out and they will get whoever they want just to, to win a ring. We saw that in the past couple seasons by going back and forth, trading for Chapman uh, and getting Garrett Cole, giving him 300 plus mil 
Stanton giving him a fat contract, uh, even smaller moves like getting James Paxton. So obviously there's so much pressure on the Yankees. There was so much pressure when they signed Garrett Cole. It's like, all right, if this team doesn't at least go to the World Series, something is, is wrong because why are we spending all this money and look what's happened. Even even Stan. I mean, Stan has not been great. And he got paid. I mean, and and they are booing him at Yankee Stadium because he loves to strike out. So I mean, as for you as a Yankees fan and you're seeing everything that's happening with the Mets right now, are you scared? Like do you do you feel that this this level of uh this the rivalry has just like shot through the roof and like for you, what what does that look like? What are your feelings as a Yankees fan and seeing what's happening over on that side? I mean, like I said, to me, I've always been like, you need to win the American League first, like before you even see them. So I've never really got caught up in the rivalry. Um, but in terms of like the area, it's good to have that buzz around like in the city and even it carries over in Jersey when the teams are good, like it makes it fun. Yeah. So like, I love the competitiveness. And like, when you see a subway series with all these star studded lineups, like it makes for some very good baseball. Uh, so like these games are going to be really, really interesting um, and highly competitive. And obviously the fans will always have their banter back and forth, but I mean, the Yankees lineup and their pitching staff, they, it's not, there's no slouching there. Like they still have a top lineup in the American league. They, their rotation could use a little help. They added Kluber. Um, yeah. I, I'm just curious. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because as a Tigers fan and someone who's had to deal with him for primarily all his career in Cleveland with that insane pitching staff, anytime Kluber came to Detroit or we went there, he dominated us. So I know how good of a pitcher Corey Kluber is, but I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? I think it was like one year, $11 million they gave him. I mean, it's a low-risk, high-reward type deal. The guy is a two-time Cy Young winner. I mean, he's had his shoulder issues the last uh, about year and a half, but why not take a shot on a guy like that? If he can get back anywhere close to what he was, that's a – Tough one, two, three. Once Severino comes back from Tommy John, you got to face Cole Kluber, Severino, and then go face that bullpen. That's uh, I like. I like their chances. The thing with Kluber, though, I guess what what kind of favors him is he's not a power pitcher. He's not like a JV who's pumping a hundred miles an hour plus into the eighth inning. Uh, and Kluber, though, is a guy over the course of his career has given so much and has pitched literally so much like from let's see 2014 up until 2018 he pitched more than 200 innings all those seasons uh but he's not a guy he's more so successful because of his stuff and the movement that his stuff has and for him and in your case this this you know low risk high reward scenario um, could totally work out in his favor. Granted, he's dealt with some some shoulder issues uh, since he got traded. I think he, he he faced like three batters in Texas when he got traded to Texas, and that was it. And that was the last time he pitched. 
So who knows? I mean, you, you, no one really knows what to expect from him. But like years ago, if the Yankees signed, obviously you, you, you couldn't sign Kluber for one year, uh, $11 million. But in his prime, which was not that long ago, and who knows, he could still be in it. Like that would be unheard of. If you told me in 2016, like 2017, you know, like the Yankees are about to sign Kluber that rotation immediately becomes the most dangerous. Like, no question, that rotation has got to be the best in baseball. I know, and I just look back to even just 2017 when the Yankees came back with down 0-2 in the division series. That first game against the Yankees, he dominated. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, he comes back and pitches game five, and um, I believe Gregorius got him. And took him deep, but I mean that was a very close game. And Sabathia, you give that guy the ball, and he's just—he was a workhorse his whole career. Um, but that's the type of way that that went. But I mean, that year was awesome for Kluber. And you look at the type of pitching that the Indians have been able to produce over the last five, six years with Kluber, Carrasco, Clevenger, Bauer, Bieber. Plezak, all these guys. They just, Tristan McKenzie looks yeah, even, crazy, Yeah, too. Tristan McKenzie. Like, they just have arms. Um, so, they've done a very good job of building these guys up and getting them to a point where, now obviously, they don't want to really, with Lindor trade and now with the trade Bauer, they trade Clevenger, they have enough arms to keep going but they're mm-hmm. not going to retain these guys because you can get prospects and stuff for them to help build up your organization that way. Kind yeah. of like touching on what the Yankees did when they traded Chapman and Miller. Um, you build up your farm system because the Yankees farm system at that time was depleted. But I mean, that's a, that's a way that these organizations do it. And you look at a team like uh, Tampa, I mean, they just strike gold every year. Yeah. On on randomness, like it's it's unbelievable how good their player development and all of their analysts are for, um, like baseball ops and even their scouting department. Like they are so good at what they do. It's it's but unbelievable. It, it's just, it, that is true. It's also it's crazy too how they had you know they tra- I think what they traded Archer to Pittsburgh for glass now and Austin Meadows and it, but it's like, it's not like the, the Rays knew that Chris Archer was like on a, on a down downward spiral and it ended up being they? one of like the, the <laughs> or, or did they? <laughs> You're right. I, I don't know. It's just crazy how you see those things. And then what kind of surprised me was they, they traded away Jose Alvarado who is nasty. I, He's yeah, nasty. And I actually I didn't realize he was like in the league for as long as he was. You really didn't hear that much about him. Uh and I can't think of ah, this trade was recent. I can't think of who they got um who the Rays got in return. Um but yeah, they're just a, a team that makes these decisions that seem maybe so obscure and they've traded away so, like exactly what Cleveland did. I mean Originally, they had David. You got you got David Price. I was gonna say they <laughs> yeah. traded they traded David Price. Uh, they traded James Shields, uh, Jeremy Hellickson, who was like eh, decent. 
uh, wasn't as good as I think they were, they were hoping he was going to be. So the, yeah, the Rays are smart. And then obviously now they traded away Blake Snell. So they know, (laughs) they know what they're doing. Uh, and that's just, that's an organization. If you look at what they did in the world series, their run to the world series was so amazing. A, A team that reminds me similar to the A's where it's like one through nine, that lineup, you couldn't really name. There's not a lot of household names on that team, but somehow they're still so dominant and having a good pitching staff obviously has a lot to do with that. Um, but I want to go back to the Kluber situation for a sec. As a Tigers fan, I have loved this whole depletion of the Indians <laughs> because uh, Cleveland, I should say, is they're in the process of changing their name uh, because they've just dominated us. And let alone when the Tigers had their reign in the AL Central. Don't get me wrong. We dominated Cleveland. But that storyline has flipped over the last five years. And to see them get rid of Bauer, and then he goes on to Cincinnati, wins a Cy Young with them. Uh, to see Carrasco and Lindor go is amazing. But it's like this whole... The AL Central has become so much more interesting because of the White Sox won and all the moves that they have made. But realistically, I think it's one of the most exciting. Like, obviously, the Mets are going after Lindor, and they, the Mets are making moves. But at the same time, in the AL Central, you have the White Sox, which I think is seriously the team to beat. And the Tigers, that on paper right now are not great, but we have all this talent in the tank. Uh, and that's what the White Sox, they, that was what they did. You know, They weren't good. They were going after prospects, building their prospect list. Um, so there's a lot of hope for a Tigers fan in terms of what the future is going to hold. Um, but that, that American league central just becomes so much more interesting and arguably Cleveland is just like out of it. They've fully entered a rebuilding stage. If you ask me. Yeah. And it, you look at the potential pitching staff for the Tigers, Mize, Manning, Scoobal, they still have Boyd. You don't know what you're going to get with Fulmer at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, you got some good young arms. You just get Torkelson, who's supposed to be a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, a nice building block, a nice rotation to build around. And you hire A.J. Hinch. So, see what kind of impact he can have on the young guys and see what type of young core that they can build. And, honestly, yeah, you're you're in the position now – to where you're going to be able to watch these young guys grow and build the Tigers' new core. Um, and, I mean, if I was a fan of the Tigers, that would be an exciting thing for me because not often do you see teams do a full teardown um, and then get all of these top picks, and now they're building. Um, and you'll be able to watch them grow each outing, each at-bat, each, each game. Um, but yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, if it, it feels like we we tanked at the right time, like the right times, if you will, like we just got lucky. Like we had we happened to draft Casey Mize number one back in 2018, and we, obviously we're still so bad. We just so happened to, to get Torkelson in the most recent draft. So it's like there's a lot of hope here in Detroit for sure. And what I'm curious to see. If, what your opinion was on 
the Tigers signing AJ Hinch because I think a lot of people before he came to Detroit were rooting against him. Like I definitely felt that way, but at the same time, I like the AJ Hinch signing because he, and he has like said this himself, like he's getting the chance to completely rewrite his story, forget everything in the past. And regardless of like everything that the Astros did and what they said, he was the most vocal about being like apologetic, even though he was at the head of the realm of things. He, you know, he knows what he did was wrong and he's going to put that in his past, but he has this opportunity in Detroit to take this team that has been fully off the map for years and on the map for all the wrong reasons as the worst team in baseball. Like it is in his hands to make all these changes and that for me is really exciting and i know like he is also really looking forward to like that opportunity yeah i mean he apologized for what he did he did his time he got suspended a full year um and although that it was a shortened year i mean a year's a year he didn't have a job um and i mean he i would say yeah he deserves a second chance um and like you said this is I think the perfect second chance for him because he's starting fresh with a bunch of young guys and see how far he could take him and see how his leadership works. Um, in Houston, he was surrounded obviously by a bunch of kids that grew into superstars. Um, and he did a great job with them. Um, regardless of everything that was going on, obviously. Um, but they had a tremendous amount of success and now, We'll see if he can kind of build the same thing in Detroit. And, I mean, look, though, the, the Red Sox essentially did the same thing. As soon yeah. as that year was up, Cora back like this. So, it's – you get your second chance. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure when fans are back in uh, stadiums, I mean – He will get you'll booed. Hear the, you'll hear the announcements and, yeah, you'll get your boos and stuff. But, I mean, they serve their punishment. You can go back to even like A-Rod. A-Rod got his suspension and he came back and he got his second chance and Ryan Braun got suspended. He came back, he got his second chance. Um, so, I mean, everybody's deserving of a second chance, but like you said, it's for you, it's an exciting time to be a Tigers fan because at this point expectations are low because mm-hmm. you have a young group and you do have teams like the White Sox and the Twins who are still going to battle it out for the top of that division. Um, but, yeah, you got a young group with low expectations, so why not? Like, just go out there and you're going to have a bunch of guys playing hard. So, Yeah, it's very reminiscent of the Padres over the years because they were like a team that was so bad and just on, on the map for all the wrong reasons. And then they were like, you know, we're going to spend a little money and surprise everyone. Granted, they, you know, they didn't have the Torkelsons or the Mises or Scoobles, but they said, hey, like, we're going to go out and we're going to sign Manny Machado. We're going to sign Eric Hosmer. And we're going to tell everyone, hey, like, look at us. This is what we're doing. Uh, then, you know, Will Myers ends up being this crazy bat all of a sudden. Manny Machado is, is playing out of his mind in San Diego. And then they're like, all right, let's step things up further. Let's trade for Clevenger. Here's Fernando Tatis. Who's like the best player in baseball all of a sudden. 
And then they go ahead and, and they get Blake Snell and you Darvish. Uh, and now, you know, the Padres are the team that one draw, will draw a huge, you know, free agent market destination type thing. And, and that's interesting, too, with A.J. Hinch was, well, what will that free agent market look like for Detroit when this team brings in someone like Hinch? You know, we saw this with Robbie Grossman, former A's guy. Uh, part of his decision to come to Detroit was his past relationship with Hinch back in Houston. And I wasn't sure as whether or not that was going to hurt uh, or be beneficial to the team, let alone former players. You know, I'm not saying Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve are going to come to Detroit all of a sudden. But, uh, you know, how big of an impact does that have? And so far, so good, you know. Uh, I, I love the Robbie Grossman signing, by the way. I don't know how much you you know about him, Um but I, I, I love it. I think for a young team like that, you do need veterans to kind of lead the way. And you're going to get the young guys to look up to them and see their work ethic and see how they prepare and see everything that they do on a daily basis. Um, and I think he's a great veteran guy. He's always putting up tough at-bats, um, good defender. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I think he's a good veteran guy that – Obviously, not crazy, not a crazy deal, right. um, but a good guy to plug in and be a veteran leader on that team. Yeah, it's crazy. It's the most the uh, the most expensive deal, free agent deal handed out to an outfielder, and it is currently January eighteenth. So that the MLB free agent market always always plays so slow. I'm sure you remember when the Padres got like Machado. Yeah, Machado uh, and Harper it, year. Yeah, that that took so long. Spring training games were being played, and he was nowhere. I think that also happened with JD Martinez too, um, before he went to the Red Sox. But yeah, it's crazy too because it never used to be like that. No, it never. I remember right back in uh, the 2008, going into the 2009 offseason when the Yankees signed Sabathia, Burnett, Teixeira. Mm-hmm. I remember like as a kid coming home from school, ready to turn on like ESPN. Um, and it was like, at this point it was like the beginning to middle of December and people were like complaining that it was taking too long. Now these free agent cases get dragged out into literally like almost the start of spring training. Right. So it's crazy, but there's always going to be that ongoing owner player battle. Um, and hopefully sooner or later gets figured out. And I know they have uh, one more year left before they need to negotiate a new CBA. So mm-hmm. hopefully that'll get solved and there's no ongoing uh, like delays to that. Yeah. I remember it was like the, the big name guys would always be signed at the winter meetings. And once the winter meetings happened and they came and went, like there wouldn't be any more big name guys. Every every other deal would just be some, you know, quiet one year deal here or there, or a small trade here or there. Everything always happened at the winter meetings. And now it's like what happens at the winter meetings is discussion and and te- you're being teased on Twitter, and then it doesn't happen till like the middle of January. Like, well, like how did that narrative just shift like that? It's so strange. We still have four main guys out there. Bauer, yeah. Springer, Real Muto, Ozuna. <laughs> Ozuna yeah. was arguably the NL MVP last year. Yeah, I know. It's 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 
it's weird too. Like the the whole sixty game season was just weird. I was sitting here today. I was ty- like typing on my outline, and I was just thinking, and I came across something, and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, NL MVP, and I was like, who won the MVP this season? Because it didn't feel like full. It's not like those guys weren't deserving. Uh, Freddie Freeman <laughs> that won. Like it wasn't like he wasn't deserving or Shane Bieber, you know, winning the Cy Young. Um, I just I don't know. It it, it felt so strange because 60 game seasons that that never happens we saw so many rule changes the seven inning double headers uh you know that's sticking around that is supposedly sticking around which i liked that i I, loved it i I, I loved it i wasn't a huge fan of the runner on on second extra inning rule because that even though both teams you have a chance it's just it's not real baseball to me like to me it's basically like uh like a hockey shootout like yeah. In, in, in the regular season, they don't want to beat the guys' bodies up and make them play so much longer. They do a five-minute three-on-three and then go to a shootout. But, I mean, I to me, as like a, a baseball like purist or whatever, but like I, I was more like old school in that sense. Mm-hmm. But once they started doing it, I mean, it brought a lot of action. So, I mean, for, like, a casual fan, I mean, it's not a bad thing. You start with a runner on second, see if your pitcher can get out of the jam. You saw some crazy plays. I remember the A's were playing the – I want to say it was the Angels. Um, And they started inning man on second, and somebody hit, like, a hot shot to Olsen at first, and he went to third to get the guy out, and they got the lead runner out, and then, like, that saved him, and they ended up walking off. But, like – that's baseball needs to grow the game. Yeah. That's the thing. Like they lag behind a little bit in compared to NBA and uh, the NHL does a bad job too compared to like player marketing and stuff like that. And obviously the NFL is at the top. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, they need to grow the game. So if you can get more casual fans to start watching and, start to get into these players and see like their personalities and stuff like that. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. ESPN with their whole live at bat. Uh, we saw it in spring training and uh, they did in the all-star game. It's pr- probably been going on for like a year and a half now um, where they have guys mic'd up live on the field. I think that's one of the coolest aspects of baseball. Something that really will get someone that's not a huge fan um, interested in the game. Uh, but Dylan, there's a lot of changes that have happened. You know, a lot has been said. They're saying that the, the, the season is supposed to start on time. I hope it does. I think it will. Um, and yeah, let's, let's just hope that the fans will be allowed, uh, one, but I, I hope the season can start on time and hopefully in a, in a 162 game season that everything can look and feel back to normal. Uh, give or take everyone in the crowd wearing masks and limited audience and, and stuff like that. But I want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on, sharing your story. It was really, really interesting to get your your viewpoint uh, from someone who worked in baseball. You know, I talked to my buddy who was a player and how tough it was for him to make that adjustment. Um, but it's awesome that you're getting the chance to go back to Oakland or with to go back with the A's and um, – yeah, it was, it, was, it was really nice having you on. And uh, I'm sure you are looking forward to spring training coming up and and um, just getting back to baseball. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I love what you're doing. It's nice to get on here and talk and yeah. 
just discuss topics. Um, but I had a great time. <laughs>